Some of us even enjoy uh, what's coming up for in fall, which is Halloween. And I know there's different opinions about Halloween in the church, and so I'm not going to try to persuade you one way or the other. But I know for many of us, we really enjoy it, whether it's just that we enjoy giving candy to kids, or we enjoy dressing up, or we just enjoy having a good time as a community. And, and it's, that's okay. Some of us, we, we like some other parts of it as well, though. We like some of the spooky stuff, right? We like to be scared a little. We like to be uh, watching maybe movies that make us a little scared. You know, uh, personally, that's not my thing. Uh, I try to avoid horror movies at all costs. They uh, kind of freak me out for the most part. Uh, but there was a time in my life where they didn't. Uh, you know, before I started following Jesus, I was kind of enjoyed those sorts of things. So I'd watch all the horror movies, and around Halloween, that's the time they're all on TV, and you're watching them all, and you enjoy being scared. And while I've moved away from that personally... I do still really appreciate some of more of, I guess, the classic monster-type stories, Uh, more on the the literary side of things. So stories like Frankenstein or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I still really appreciate those stories, maybe not so much the movie versions, but the story itself. Because I think the stories themselves, while they might be the stories of, of monsters, are actually stories more about being human. As often as the case in literature, there's images that get used to kind of help us understand different sides of things. So like take Frankenstein, for instance. Those of us familiar with that story, we know that there's this scientist doctor who creates a life out of, well, inanimate life. And that's Frankenstein's monster. And what he does is he creates this monster and he actually ends up abandoning the monster. But the monster starts out as good that it is a loving creature, like it cares about the world around it. What ends up happening is as people see this monster, they're scared of it. And as they're fearful of the monster, they treat the monster poorly with aggression or violence. And then the monster in turn starts to become aggressive and violent to the point of, in the story, killing people. And so in that story, while it's about a monster, it's partially about being human. It's about how your environment maybe shapes you. And so in that story, it's telling the story of how this monster starts out good, but its environment made it bad. But then if you contrast that to another monster story of Jekyll and Hyde, those of us who are familiar with it, maybe some of us not so much, but it starts off that there's a doctor. He's a doctor in Victorian era, and as the doctor, he is uh, dealing with his own internal turmoil and his own struggle to do good inside himself. He has these evil thoughts. And so he thinks he's going to create a serum that will help him suppress those evil, bad thoughts that are inside of him. But what ends up happening is it turns him into a whole other monster that's just exemplifying evil at times. That story, it's not about the environment that makes him good or bad, but it's something that's inside of him that he has to wrestle with. And so there's these two views of humanity in these monster stories. And these two views are either you are created good and it's your environment that makes you bad or do bad things, or you have a propensity inside of you to do good or evil. And that's inside of you. It's not the environment that brings it out. These are the two 
views that really are about what it means to be human. Are you good or bad? And maybe it's not that simple of a question. But as we're in this series called Thinking Christian, this is one of the things we should think about as Christians. Or maybe if we're not Christians, we should think about anyways. Because we should reflect on what it means to be human. And if humans are, let's say, simple terms, good or bad, in and of themselves. In these monster stories, they give us a picture of those two opposing views. And for us, as a culture, as a society, as in our world, many of us maybe hold one of those views or the other. Maybe we feel that people are just essentially good in and of themselves. And as they are good in and of themselves, they don't do wrong. It's their environment that causes it. And so we would choose to address the environment and go, how do we change that environment so that people don't choose bad? And others of us would hold the view that, well, maybe it's something inside of us that leads us to do bad and not the environment. And so maybe it's us that needs to change. So what is, I guess, the biblical view on this? Is it our environment? Is it us? Or maybe is there more to it than just a simple this or that? We're going to explore that this morning. And to explore that, we have to look at the story of Scripture. Because the story of Scripture is going to paint for us this picture of what it means to be human and how we interact with the world around us. And this is going to be a bit of a, I guess, a span of most of the Bible, but very, very quickly. Because it's the entirety of the story of Scripture that paints a picture of two things. One is who God is and why that matters. And the second is who we are because of who God is and why we need to know that. And so we're going to explore that this morning, but first let's just take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have this opportunity this morning uh, to explore what Scripture teaches us, that this, uh, these words that you passed on through your people for generations give us an opportunity to hear and know and live a life that reflects you. And for some of us, we're in different places this morning. Maybe we've uh, been going to church for a long time. Maybe this is something new for us. And we're trying to understand who we are in the world around us. That's something we all have in common. I pray this morning that as we continue on in this series, reflecting on what it means to think uh, in, in a manner that is reflective of Scripture, that our hearts and minds are open to what Scripture says, and we can challenge ourselves and reflect clearly on what this means. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, this is kind of the span of Scripture, and it starts right at the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, we are treated with this poem. And we have different views, I would say, like even in this room, we probably have different views on what exactly this poem is. Some of us would say this is the direct scientific account of how creation happened. Others of us would say this is more of a representation of something else. It's about creation, but it's really about God, and it's not exactly like step-by-step how creation happened. And that's not really important for today, but I know it's a tension that some of us wrestle with. What's important for today is to try and see this scripture, try and see this text as for what is it telling us about humanity, about us. Because I believe that really what it is, is it's trying to contrast a thinking of the time, the ancient Near East world, about what it meant to be human and who God was, 
And it should be affecting how we see ourselves today and as well as who God is. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says this. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. That word that gets used for image, uh, it can be very confusing for us at times. Like, so we think that we look like God, is that what it's trying to say? But really what that word means would be more like what we think of with the word like icon. Some of us maybe come from some kind of traditions where icons were used, and those are meant to be pictures that represent something. So when you are called someone in the image of God, when, when God says this is what you were made in, it means you are like a representation of God in the flesh. You are a reflection of who he is. You are not God, but you are reflecting who God is in who you are. The same way an icon would be something not that you worship, like an idol, but something that draws you to see God. That's the difference there. And so when you are made in the image of God, it's not about your physical image, about the way you look, but it's about who you are representing in your life. And so when you are made in the image of God, you're meant to be representing God to the world around you. So the text continues. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath and life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So God creates humanity in this poetic account, and he looks over everything that he's made, and he says, this is very good. Everything is in order. Everything's the way it's supposed to be. So in that order of everything being very good, people find themselves called good. So the story starts out that people are made good. You were intended to be made good. So does that simply answer the question, are people good or bad? No, it doesn't. Because that's only the first chapter of the Bible. If we get a little bit further into the next account, which is a narrative account of some of the creation events, and it's this place called Eden. So in the Garden of Eden, which we're maybe familiar with, we see the account of how God is amongst people. Everything is kind of ordered properly. Everything is good. The only thing that I have a little bit of objection to is everybody's a vegetarian at this point, so it seems a little strange, but it's the way it was supposed to be, so it's good. So everything's good. Adam is there, and then God creates this helper out of Adam who is yet to be named, is only named after, and everything is kind of in harmony and in order and functioning the way it's supposed to be. So as God said in Genesis 1, they are to care for the earth, to, they use the word rule, but really it means to care for, to like nurture the world around them. They're doing that, and everything's good. And they're told just one thing, don't eat from this one tree. So what do they do? They eat from that one tree. It's the human condition. When you tell your child not to do something, what do they do? 
that thing you told them not to do. When someone tells you not to do something, what do you do? Sometimes you do that thing you're not supposed to do. Right? There's something in these people who are created in this perfect environment who were called good, yet still chose to kind of go their own path. And so in the story of Scripture, sin enters the picture. Things are no longer good. In fact, God says, because you chose this way and not his way, the earth is cursed because of you. Everything is disordered. That good image of God that you were meant to reflect is now distorted and broken. So as the story started, the people were good. As the story goes on, not so much. It changes. Everything changes. This is called the fall. Now the thing about the fall is that there is hope within it. That even in the midst of the curse of things not going the way they're supposed to, God says there is opportunity. There is hope to come. And so, if we jump way ahead into the story of Scripture, we find ourselves in the book of Romans. And Romans says this in chapter 3, verse, uh, halfway through verse 22. It says, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Paul, as he's writing to this church in Rome, he's saying there's no distinction between humanity's differences. Here they divided people as Jew and Gentile. That was kind of their societal difference structure. Here we might use different things, such as sex or gender or race or economic status. But to them, he's basically saying, hey, this encompasses everybody, Jew or Gentile. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are not the way they're supposed to be. That's what he's saying. Something is broken inside of us. Something is broken in this world. So as Paul is saying that, he's saying there's, there's no one outside of this realm. He uses the word all, meaning everybody, which might be really hard to hear because we know some really great people who maybe don't believe what we believe. We know some really great people who do some really great things who maybe don't believe in Jesus. But Paul says everybody has fallen short. Everybody has missed the mark. Sin is real. But he continues. It's not the end of the story. There's more to it. He says, And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because on his, in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So Paul is saying the truth of the story is yeah, you were created good, but that image is distorted. When we look around us, we can hopefully acknowledge that. We can think back to even just a couple of years ago when you couldn't find toilet paper. Why was that? Because people were hoarding. They weren't caring about anybody else. They just wanted to care for themselves. There's a selfishness. There's sin in us 
that looks out for us. It's the same issue that occurred in the garden where Adam and Eve decided, hey, we know better than God, let's just eat this fruit. We do that all the time. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But, but, you can be made right through Christ. So that distorted, broken image that we are to reflect can be repaired, can be fixed, can be healed. And let's be honest, we need some healing. When we look around the world, we can, we can see how broken things are. We can see people suffering and hurting. We can see it in ourselves. And we desperately need healing. And that is found through Jesus. So while we were meant and intended in our original nature to be good, because of the reality of what happened, we aren't. We're distorted. We're not the way we're supposed to be. But in Christ, you could be made right. You could be reshaped, reformed. We struggle with this because, like I said, we know people who we would classify as good. Maybe it means they're generous. Maybe it means they're kind. Maybe it just means they're good-looking. Whatever it might be, we classify people as good. And so we would go, well, what about them? The sad news is everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. No matter how much we do that may appear good, It doesn't change what's inside. And it's what's inside that needs healing. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus has made a way for that to be healed, to be fixed, to be hopeful again. We wrestle with it because, again, good seems like so much easier to say. That's a good person. They're they're kind, whatever. But Jesus himself said, well, when someone said to him in Luke's gospel, you know, you're a good teacher. He said, who are you calling good? No one is good except God. So if no one is good except God, how do we get made right again? Only through God and by God. The gift from God is that we are justified in faith, that he makes a way for us to be who we were always intended to be. The story starts out that you are good, made in the image of God. That image gets broken and distorted, but God's intention has always been to fix the problem, to fix our choice of selfishness historically and redeem and correct it through Jesus. And he does. In 2 Corinthians, one of uh, my favorite passages, and I'm sure some of you as well, Paul explains it like this. He says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So he says that we who are all who fall short of the glory of God, all those who sin, Jesus died for us. Us, you, me, the entirety of the human, human race, us. And because he did that, 
there is hope. Because he did that, we, he uses the term, died. The way that we were, that broken, distorted image, died with him if we choose to live in faith with that. Everything that was wrong could die and go away in the sense that he heals the sin and the sorrow. He continues, says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Those who find themselves in that category of all who fall short of the glory of God can be made new in Christ. When you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a restoring image of God of person. You're being more and more who you were always meant to be. That good that started at the beginning that got distorted is being restored in Christ. It is the invitation to us all that God is working to reconcile us, making us good with him, but also all of creation that is distorted. God is at work in this and inviting us to participate in it. This is the hope of Scripture, that you are not the fall. You are not your sin. You are not your biggest mistake. You are not the worst thing that happened to you. You are not your parents' neglect. You are not what your teacher told you in grade four. You are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And you are invited to live like it. Paul will say in Ephesians that you are God's masterpiece, his work of art. That's who you really are. Are you good or bad? Yes, both. But you are being restored if you open yourself up through faith to follow Jesus and to allow the Holy Spirit to form and shape you to who you've always been meant to be, someone who is in the image of God, reflecting God to the world around them. We are sinners deeply in need of a Savior. And the good news is we have one, and we can't do it on our own. I pray for you, whether, you know, it's just something you've heard before, you know, you've been to church for a while, or you're just exploring, or you're not even sure where you stand with God. You open yourself up to the possibility of being made who you've always been meant to be in Christ. Someone who is God's masterpiece, 
the image of God to the world around them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are um, the God who does call us your masterpiece. That creation wasn't complete until humanity was made, that we, we do, whether we realize it or not, have this special place in this created order. A place that you made for us to be carers, nurturers of the world and order that you made. And we haven't always done that. And I pray that as we learn to embrace what it means to follow you, we recognize and realize that yes, we have we have been disconnected. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that you freely justify us in Christ and offer us this opportunity to be your new creation, this masterpiece. I pray we embrace this and we live this for the rest of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.